Bill Anderson is one of the most successful songwriters, performers, and personalities in country music history. He also discovered future country Hall of Famer Connie Smith, toured with Johnny Cash, hosted his own television show, sang 80 charting singles and 37 top 10 country music hits, and wrote songs recorded by James Brown, Jerry Lee Lewis, Dean Martin, Aretha Franklin, and many more. Over the past 20 years, he has won two Country Music Association Song of the Year prizes, been nominated for Grammy Awards, won the Academy of Country Music's Song of the Year distinction. In 2001, he entered the Country Music Hall of Fame. Bill's upcoming book is entitled Whisper and Bill Anderson, An Unprecedented Life in Country Music. What you heard me read at the top of the show is the summary of his book. Why did you decide it was time to write this? I was hungry. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, I had written an autobiography back in 1989 when I thought my career had probably gone as far as it was going to go. And then surprisingly enough, I turned around and had like a second career that turned out to be bigger than the first one. And there seemed to be a lot of interest in that, a lot of curiosity about it. And I thought, well, while I'm still capable of putting two sentences together and telling the story, maybe it's a story that other people can learn from, maybe be inspired by, I hope. Just felt like maybe it was the right time. And I found a wonderful co-writer named Peter Cooper who helped me organize all my thoughts. I knew what I wanted to say, but I just didn't have it all clear in my mind exactly the order I wanted to put it in and what to put in and what to leave out. When you've done this as long as I've done it, you've got enough material to fill a set of encyclopedias, <laughs> let alone a book. So uh, I had a lot of help in learning what to use and what not to use and it just seemed to fall into place. So is there anything that you didn't put in the book that you wish you would have included looking back? Oh, I don't know. I, I think we pretty well told the story uh, in in the, the constraints of, I mean, you've only got a certain amount of pages and all to, to do it in, you know. Um, I, I don't, I can't sit here right now and tell you any particular thing that well, that good. we left out that I, I wish we'd have put in. I'm glad you got it all. <laughs> Every now and again, people ask Bill Anderson how he learned to write songs. He tells them he had to teach himself. The truth is, He's had a thousand teachers. He learned songwriting from ex-wives and from the dry cleaners, from Chuck Berry and Roger Miller, from his dear mother's abiding faith and lousy singing voice. In considering Bill's formidable catalog of original songs, some have credited his intellect. Others point to his empathy and his ability to remain present in most any moment. But with a thousand teachers, how could this guy possibly miss? Page 87. writing a book similar and different to writing a song for you? It is totally two different exercises. It really is. In a song, you're always trying to keep it down to that three or four minute uh, at the most level. You're writing with certain constraints. It's almost like you're in a box and you're writing. 
everything's got to rhyme, it's got to meter, it's got to sing melodically, it's got to tell a story from start to finish, and you've only got this this short amount of time and these parameters, you've got to stay inside. Guy told me when I was writing my first book, he said, because it was very hard for me, I'd gone from writing songs all these years, and I kept trying to condense the book that I was writing. My my, my discipline was make it make it short, make it fit. And he told me, he said, no, no, no. He said, if you're writing a book and you're writing about onions, make the reader smell the onions. And I thought, oh, I don't have time to do that in a song. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's more... It's more relaxing in a way. It's not as, in a way, it's not as challenging, and yet in a way, it's very challenging to write prose. But after you've been writing songs for years, you have to learn that it's a whole different discipline, and you have to kind of discipline yourself along with it. There were only a few people I felt comfortable enough around to want to share my very heart and soul and guts with. And that's exactly what you do when you compose a song. You pour it all out. And it's not easy working on a song creating your own little baby, only to have somebody listen to what you've written and say, hey, your kid is ugly. You've got to have a special relationship with someone to open yourself up that far, and they've got to trust you as well. Page 96. Bill has collaborated with everyone from Johnny Cash to Brad Paisley. He's a big proponent of working with others to find the truest sound. Here's what he had to say about all of his partners. Well, I think at this point in my life and my career and working with the younger artists that it's the way for me to really stay in touch because, I mean, I've been doing this since the late 1950s and my influences were so different from the influences that the young kids have today, not only the artists and the musicians, but the listeners. And I think for me to take what I know and what I've learned and what I can bring to the game and make it relevant to today and today's audience, I feel like I need that other two heads are better than one type thing, you know. I need somebody else to, to balance some of this off of and to take me places that I probably couldn't get to by myself. What was it about the changing times that made you feel disconnected with the new generation and what sparked your faith to carry on? Very good question. I, um, I am basically a lyric writer. Uh, that's what my strength is. And I've written thousands of melodies, too, that have worked for the type songs that I was trying to write at that time. But the music had begun to change uh, by the time that I was ready to get back into it after taking about 10 years away from it. And I felt like to come back into it that the the melodies had changed primarily. Country music had broadened its its melodic scope tremendously in the years that I had been away. And I felt like I needed somebody that could could sit down with me. Maybe I would be a little stronger lyric writer than they would, and they would be stronger melody-wise than I would. And I felt like I needed that collaboration to uh, to to bring it to to relevancy for for today. If I had written some of the songs that I ended up writing by myself, I don't think melodically they would have uh, they would have really worked. And and being able to uh, to draw from somebody else and their experiences and their talents and all just enabled me to to do things that uh, I just didn't think I was capable of doing by myself. It's interesting how it turns out that way because in the beginning you're drawing from people before you and now it kind of comes like full circle now it becomes like more complete would you say? That's a great way to put it because I grew up in the era when Hank Williams Sr. was the biggest thing in country music. His songs were sad songs for the most part. They were very 
simple melodically. And yes, that's what I drew from. I drew from the Hank Williams songs. I drew from the old church hymns. I grew up the grandson of a Methodist preacher, and a lot of my early songs sound like they were stolen out of the hymn book. And yeah, that's a that's a great thing. That yeah, I. I I borrowed, or I don't. I don't like to use the word stole. <laughs> I don't want somebody to come looking for me and said I did something illegal. But I borrowed from my influences, and then if I was able to influence uh, some of the younger writers and, and artists and, and kids as I came along, that's well, you can't ask for anything any better than to be able to do that. In reference to writing, give it away. Bill says. We had used the title of the song 16 times inside the three verses, two choruses, and the short section at the end. The song had three separate places where the words were spoken rather than sung, and we had used a total of only three musical chords to play the melody. Conventional wisdom said this song didn't stand a chance. Page 274. It became Song of the Year in 2007. Where do you see country music headed, and what do you see as like the core that's always going to be the same? If we knew where country music was headed, uh, we could be having this conversation in the Bahamas, <laughs> sipping a drink on the beach because we'd be so rich. Uh, who knows where it's headed? I don't know. The pop influences, the uh, rock and roll influences are very strong in a lot of the modern day country. I have people say to me all the time, do you think country will go back to the way it was, you know, 30 years ago or so? And I I always answer them by saying, do you think your next car you buy is going to have a running board on it? <laughs> they quit putting running boards on cars years ago, and they keep advancing. And so I don't think country music is going to go back. I think it may go forward in a different way, in a different um, direction. I, I think one of the greatest things in country music that has helped it to reach so much of a wider audience in recent years is the fact that country music has gone from being a lot of negativity to being a very positive music. And by that I mean you go back and listen to the old Hank Williams songs that influenced me so much and so many of them are sad, they're dark songs, you know, almost hopeless kinds of songs. And I think more people had rather hear positive music. I mean there's a lot of people that, you know, have a tear in their beer, but I think there's more people that they, they like to hear something that inspires them, something they can share with their children, their family, and say, hey, listen to this. This is the way you ought to be looking at life or, or this kind of thing. So I think the fact that country music has become so much more positive is such a positive thing for the industry and for society as a whole, because if we've always been a lyrical music. And if we can reach people with a positive message and maybe a tune they'd go around uh, humming and singing and whistling, then uh, then I think we've we've done a good job. Now, the guy that's sitting here saying all this wrote a double suicide drinking song called Whiskey Lullaby a few years ago. <laughs> so don't uh, do as I do, do as I say. <laughs> I was going to say, but I do, I really like that because I'm more into like positive uplifting music like I listen to sad music so did you say tear in your beer is that when you want to hear sad songs well I just use that as an expression actually that was an old Hank Williams song that they found many years after he had passed away I got a tear in my beer but I mean I, I used to think that to write a country song you had to see how lonesome you could get 
pull down all the shades at night, turn the lights down low and be miserable and sit there and write. And you really don't have to do that. And you can write other songs besides just tearing my beer kinds of songs. And, and see, you're, you're exactly a great example of what I'm talking about. You're, you're young, you're, you're into music, and, and you like the positive messages. And I think, in, in a way, I think we kind of have a responsibility as, as creators. And that doesn't mean all the sad music has to go away. Right, right. But I, I think the more we can emphasize the, the positive things and all in our music, uh, I think the wider audience we're going to reach and the better job we can do. You've had over 50 years of doing this. You were inducted into the Music Hall of Fame. You've recorded 40 studio albums, seven number one singles, and are a six-time singer-songwriter of the year. Uh, for young singer-songwriters, can you give us a glimpse as to where you find the faith and the fuel and the passion to endure such an eclectic and meaningful career? What does eclectic mean? No. <laughs> no. Um, I found it in a lot of places. Um, number one, I love what I do. I think I'm the luckiest guy in the world to wake up every morning I've never gone to work a day in my life, you know, because I enjoy what I do. I mean, if I'm on a tour bus traveling to do a concert, uh, well, all the miles aren't necessarily fun, but I'm I'm basically doing something I love. And when I write a song or sit down to work on a song, I'm I'm doing something that I enjoy, and and that fuels you a lot. You you can get an awful lot of fuel. I tell people all the time. In fact, I have a little card that I carry around in my wallet or I did until recently that says find something you like doing so much you do it for nothing and then learn to do it so well that they'll pay you and you've got it made and that's kind of been my philosophy I would do it for nothing if I could afford to I can't afford to but if I could I would because I love it that much kind of activity that might surprise people to know? Any secret talents? <laughs> no, I don't know that I have any secret talents. Um, my passion outside of music and creating and doing the things that I do, I am a passionate sports fan. I wanted to grow up to be a professional baseball player. In fact, it's ironic that we're doing this in Chicago because when I was in a senior in high school, I was a left-handed pitcher. And there was a scout who did some work with the Cubs who was down in my part of the country. And he told me I needed to go to a, a, a training camp and let them really work with me, you know, a, a tryout type camp and, and let them teach me a lot that I didn't know. And, um, and I came so close to, to, to doing that. The only thing I ever promised my parents I would do was to go to college, though. So I went to the University of Georgia and majored in journalism and, and got out. And by the time I got out of college, my focus had shifted, and I didn't want to play ball nearly as much as I wanted to play music. But sports has always been a passion of mine. I was a sports writer for a time. always thought if I hadn't gotten into writing music, I might have gotten into writing sports because those were kind of my, my two loves. But as far as uh, 
art. When you say the word art, I, I think of <laughs> I think of things far beyond that, and uh, I have no talent or no real interest in what most people would refer to as art. I guess. Which of your achievements do you hold most dear? If you could choose one, if it's possible. Yeah, and I don't know if this is an achievement or not, but it was part of the creative process, I guess. My achievement that I'm the most proud of is my children. I have three children. I have two daughters and a son, none of whom are in the music business. They all love music. Each one of them has an instrument they can play. They have a very broad uh, appreciation of, of all different kinds of music but they all chose their own life paths, which I encouraged. I never tried to push them into doing what I do. My father didn't push me into doing what he did, and so I never tried to push my children into anything. But all of my children turned out very well. They never caused me a moment's trouble. They're wonderful adults with children and families of their own now, and I can look at that and uh, and I can smile. I have a picture of me and all my children and grandchildren hanging over my fireplace at home, and I can sit back in my chair and look up there and say, I'm pretty doggone proud of that. Bill Anderson's unprecedented revival was a blindside hit that we should have seen coming. In 1991, the thought was, he sure had a nice run, but those things always come to an end. By 1993, the surprise was less in the return to prominence and more in the fact that one of country music's greatest and most prolific songwriters had spent a decade under the commercial radar. For Bill, all of this was deeply satisfying. Page 231. For people who pick up your book, what's the biggest thing you hope that they carry away with them after they read it? I hope they read the book and carry away the spirit that I tried to write in the book, and that is, it's never too late to do what you want to do. Don't people, don't give up when people say to you, well, you're too old to do this, or, or things have changed, you can't do that. And, and, and so many people do that. They, they, they listen to outside things. Listen to that little voice down in your, your heart and down in your gut that says, hey, I really want to do this, and then figure out a way to do it. Uh, Yogi Berra said it great, getting back to my love for baseball. Yogi Berra said it ain't over till it's over. And that's kind of the way I've looked at my career. You know, people say, well, gosh, you know, you're in your 70s now. Uh, what are you out there? You're in, a, you're in a young people's business. And, yeah, but I can stay young at heart. I still love it. I can still learn from these people. I can still teach them something. So I hope maybe somebody would read my book and say, hey, maybe I, maybe I gave up too soon. Maybe I should go back and do this. Maybe I should try this. Maybe I should go back to school. Maybe I should uh, could work on that invention that I've got in the back of my mind. You know, as long as you're breathing and the good Lord's uh, giving you another day on this earth and you got something you want to do, go for it. And I hope they'll read my book and say, well, he did it. Uh, maybe I can do it too. Thanks to the unprecedented Whisper in Bill Anderson. To learn more, visit BillAnderson.com. His book, Out in September, is available for pre-order now. I'm in the middle of reading it, and trust me, you're not going to want to miss this. 
Thank you to Book Expo, Amanda Clark, Tim Apuli, WGN Radio, and Hard Times Productions. For more artistic license, visit our page on WGNplus.com or our website, artisticlicensepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm Rachel Woodall, and this has been Artistic License. Until next time, thanks for listening.